Welcome to Librarians Allowed, an independent podcast produced by the Academic and Special Libraries section of the Library Association of Ireland. I'm your host, Laura Rooney-Ferris, and in this episode I talk to David Hughes. David is the Systems Librarian in Dublin Business School, and he's a big advocate and supporter of open source in libraries. Um, He talks to me about his passion for open source and his career path to to date and his adventures in librarianship, including Dead Pigeons. Okay, so I'm here with Mr. David Hughes, uh, Mr. Koa himself, uh, Mr. Open Source uh, Library Software. Uh, David is the uh, systems librarian in DBS. Uh, so thanks a million, Dave, for uh, agreeing to have a chat with me. I, I couldn't d- d- turn down my former number two in the systems <laughs> department here. I still like, have the business cards that state that <laughs> David uses number two. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you've, you've gotten exactly. over the dying pigeon. Exactly, yeah. The dying pigeon is maybe a story for uh, another totally time, yeah. podcast. Indeed, uh, yeah. The podcast called... Um, mm. You know, crazy adventures in librarianship and what what kind of weird shit have people brought into your library? Go far to beat a dying pigeon, Laura. I tell you that. Yeah. Anybody who's, who's the dying pigeon story? I'm sure somebody out there has, but um, another time for another sure. Time. Yeah, that's that's going to be the spin-off mm. podcast for the librarians allowed. Mm. <laughs> that's the one about weird dying creatures that have been brought <laughs> into your library or what form of disgusting things have been brought into your library. Apart from users, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, David, uh, just maybe we'll start at the very beginning. Uh, the question I ask everybody, how did you get into the library world? I suppose the short answer is fruit flies. But I, 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 I need to expand on that. You do. Um, at school, I, I wanted to be a scientist. So I went to university and I did a science degree. And I liked doing science. And uh, I went on to do start a PhD on the molecular genetics of fruit flies. And I moved out from moved away from home. I was in a strange city, still in Scotland. Strange people in my lab, strange supervisor, and uh, I didn't really do that well. I had to change projects after a year, eighteen months. Was this the fault of the fruit flies? Yeah, uh, it was part, partly my fault. I couldn't grow fruit, fruit fly cells in culture. Um, <laughs> I always seem to end up with microbial contamination of some sort. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it wasn't fruit flies I was working with; it was fruit, fruit fly cells. Yeah. So I, I changed projects again, looking still in the fruit fly world or the fruit fly cell world, and my funding ran out. You get three years for PhD grant, and after that, you're on your own. So I had to write up what I had. And, and sort of padding that out to uh, even master's dissertation length involved a lot of library work. And I quite enjoyed doing the, the secondary research in the library. Um, back in the day, this was the late 80s, early 90s, they didn't have computers back then. Computers are a sort of invention they, of the, they, the they 2000s. They, just, they filled the whole room. <laughs> 
two rooms. Well, the, the, the university of Dundee and I, we couldn't afford computers, so we had books and we had things like biological abstracts, and which, which, I mean, it's totally alien to youngsters these days. Yeah. We, we, everything was indexed. You had, you had you know, abstracts of articles and they were indexed and there was an index at the back and you looked up the keywords. So I spent a lot of time dealing with biological abstracts and other publications and getting interlibrary loans from Japan and places like that. I thought, hey, this is cool. <laughs> you know, this, you know, it's easy to transmit information. You know, you, you get the, the, the abstract the titles, you get the keywords. And wouldn't it be fun to actually um, produce the keywords, read the articles and produce the keywords? So that's kind of like a bit like cataloging, a bit removed from that, but along the same lines. Yeah. And I thought, this could be interesting. I could work in a library. So I sent away for some prospectuses from a couple of places, um, Strathclyde, Sheffield, a few other places. And I got them back and I looked at them in horror. God, this is really boring. I don't want to do this. <laughs> it was everything you'd feared. Yeah, it was everything I'd feared. So um, my funding ran out. Um, I could have stayed on and, and sort of worked as an amateur scientist, I suppose a professional one, mm-hmm. but I thought I'd get a job instead. And that job was still not a librarian job. I, I moved to uh, into computer programming and well, I didn't really like that. <laughs> didn't last very long there. Um, again, uh, I moved, this was down in Cheshire, in a place called Crewe which is basically mm-hmm. a set of railway lines and nothing else. There's nothing much to do there. Well, it's great. I, it's heaven if you're a train spotter, but if you're not a train spotter, then... Yeah. Um, so I spent six months there, and I moved back up to Glasgow. I spent a lot of time hanging around libraries in Glasgow. Um, you know, you borrow books, and libraries are great. Mm-hmm. So I'll never see myself working in one. Um, careers Office of University of Glasgow, I, there was a notice up about indexing. Do you want to be an indexer? Well, yes, I want to be an indexer. Yeah. This is my job. Yeah, yeah, because you know, it was kind of the, the, the other end of the stuff that I was doing with the secondary research in the University Library, Dundee University Library. So, got this, you know, it was a small startup in a small town outside of Glasgow, and they'd gotten a contract with Elsevier to produce bibliographic records for Embase, which you particularly know, I'm yeah, sure. All, yeah, all health libraries yeah, familiar yeah. With I did. So, they, they did a contract to produce. Um, records for MBase, the bibliographic data and the indexing. Mm-hmm. You know, as an indexer, you read the, read the abstract, read the article and extract all the key data in the form of um, controlled indexing terms. So there's a thesaurus of terms that you had to use that you had to get familiar with. So they, they um, didn't really interview me because a few people turned up for a demonstration night and uh, I suppose one or two of us said they were one or two of us said we were interested in pursuing this. So it's self-selecting. Didn't need to interview. us, just turn up. So um, I turned up and I thought it was an interview, but it's no here. Get started in the indexing there, more or less. Shortest interview yeah, ever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They need to look at you. Like That's it. You're keen in indexing face. Stuff. Yeah. So did that. Did that for a year. Um, proved to be quite good at it. And I got promoted. So instead of actually indexing for this company called CrossEgg, I was running the contract for MBase. I'd be responsible for hiring and training indexers and um, training the not the catalogers but the data entry folk 
cataloguing is basically very specialised data entry with weird and obscure rules. Um, <laughs> no offence, cataloguers. So I was responsible for them, the quality of the work that they produced, and I did quite well at it. The company took on other contracts and I got to manage them. Um, I was always a bit on the techie side, so they thought I would better serve as kind of liaison between the software department of the company because them, they, they kind of wrote systems to, you know, you, you feed the, the journal into a, paper journal into a guillotine, you scan it, mm-hmm. um, you OCR it, and you send it off to um, the data editors and the indexers. And their shtick was that we used ISDN, which was kind of a primitive form of broadband in the day. Mm-hmm. So we had people working from home and like Sky in the Western Isles and Argyllshire and other places and the, the data would be sent down the phone lines. So rather than manage the contracts, I managed the interaction of the uh, the home workers and all the other staff and solved problems when they arose. And did that for a few years and then we were taken over by Thomson Reuters, web of science people, it's just Thomson at the time I think, um, took, taken over by Thomson. Um, expanded, got a few more contracts, made a complete dog's, dog's dinner of them, savings had to be made, so all the, the management, the middle management like myself were all made redundant. So you have great respect for Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> I think, no, I, 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 they, they, they were fine, it's just that we, we made a couple of bad hires mm. and um, you know, you, you, when you write penalty clauses into your contracts, mm. you shouldn't make them too severe. And well, don't need to go any further with that. Yeah, but um, yeah, so unemployed for a while because I I was still set on you know I'd liked um, it's a secondary electronic publishing was basically the name of the game. Mm. I wanted to stay in that information field, so I waited for something to come up. And a few months after I was made redundant, um, I started with the UK Ministry of Defence, working in Glasgow in the Defence Research Information Centre. And you know that that's that, that was more a wee bit more like traditional librarianship. We were cataloguing grey literature. Mm. Um, I can't tell you much about that, Laura. I'd have to kill you. We signed the Official Secrets Do you Act and everything. To nukes or <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were cleared up to secret, and um, you we, we, you're given lots of interesting stuff and lots of really dull stuff as mm. well. There's a place in the middle of England called Boscombe Down, and it's a big Air Force base. Mm. I think Sting lives nearby, and he took them to court over the noise they were making, something like that. Big Air Force Base is where they do all their aircraft repairs. So every time like a light bulb goes in a cockpit, it has to get changed, but they have to test it to make sure it doesn't interfere with all the equipment. Yeah. So a substantial proportion of the reports we actually got from, were from Boscombe Down, and it was a report on changing a light bulb in a combat aircraft, testing the electromagnetic magnetic compatibility with the aircraft systems. So, so it wasn't exactly... <laughs> it's not exactly like James high Bond, high level. No, like nothing like that. There was some interesting stuff, but um, it was mostly boring stuff. Mm-hmm. So we, we do All stuff. Interesting stuff. I'm assuming if it gets fined in the category of that, I tell you. That uh, yeah, yeah. You. UK eyes only. Yeah. So uh, you do, doing um, cataloging of grey literature. Um, I took it upon myself to set up a thesaurus and manage a thesaurus of indexing terms to make retrieval easier. Mm-hmm. Worked on a few other things. Um, there was an interesting project about. Um, 
bibliometrics basically looking at technologies of interest to UK government and looking at who's doing research on it, who the who the you know, what the top institutions are, who the top authors are. So you know, bibliometrics yeah, measuring so research. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so again that was the late nineties, early years of this century. It's very interesting. Um however Two things happened. I, I met an Irish girl on holiday. Uh, yeah, Ireland needs men or something. And the UK government decided to split where I was working into two. The agency I was working for, part of it would stay private, and part of part of it would go private, and part of it would still be under the control of the UK government. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was still the, the section I was in, Drick was still under the control of the UK government because of all the you know the secret material. Mm. But the people in charge decided to recentralise. Um so I mean we we were moving from Glasgow down to Salisbury. Mm. Um didn't fancy that. And at the same time I've been seeing this Irish girl and we'd been commu- commuting mm. weekends, Dublin to Glasgow, Glasgow <laughs> to Dublin. So um, she, she suggested it's time for you to move to Dublin, and yeah, that's it. And you you should do the library course at UCD. I don't want to do the library course. You should do the library course. <laughs> you know, I thought about it. Yeah, makes you sense. UCD should really have funding. <laughs> yeah. Services a few quid for recruiting. Commission. Yeah, it made sense. Um, you know, if I wanted to stay working in that particular field. I'd have to get a library degree because mm-hmm. you know a lot of those jobs wanted library degrees. Um, at Drick, there was kind of two groups of people: the librarians and the non-librarians. We both did the same work, yeah. and we kind of looked at each other warily. But was there clear? Distinction in their minds. There was a there was a clear distinction in their minds. They kind of looked down on us a wee bit, even though we were doing the same work. Mm. I thought I want to look down on people. I could do do a library (laughs) degree. Justifications for doing a library. Well, I want to look down. There's worse reasons. Well, I'm only of average height, so I'm not going to look down on folk any other way. Yeah, I hear you there. Yeah, sorry. So I came to Dublin. I, I moved here on you know the Saturday and I started the library course on the Monday. Mm-hmm. It was great fun. Um, spent a year UCD. And what did you know about the library course and UCD before before doing it? Not much. Um, I came across for an interview and interviewed by a couple of staff who seemed mad but nice. Mm-hmm. Um, looked in their website and stuff like all the stuff that you do, particularly if you're a librarian, you do lots of. You do you do your research and like, oh, yeah, okay, it seemed to be the only game in town. Yeah. No, it was good fun. Um you know, there's lots you could say about the course, but I I enjoyed my year. Um I'm not sure what it prepared me for, but definitely enjoyed it. Definitely didn't prepare you for dead pigeons. No, for sure. But then, you know, a course in printer and photocopier maintenance maintenance wouldn't have gone on miss either. So uh, near the end of the year, um, the the secretary Noreen Hayes, there's a name from the past. Mm, she's not there anymore. She's not there anymore. Sent around an email to the class, and it was uh, forwarded from the librarian at Dublin Business School, and they were looking for a part-time library assistant to work three nights. I thought I'll do that. I'll do that. Um, so it was uh, they had some a nutcase here. <laughs> Laura knows to whom I refer. <laughs> I think a lot of us are slightly off centre, but 
So I'd, I started here three nights a week, and that was basically just to cover the, to the end of term. There were, you know, there was a librarian and two full-time library assistants, and a variety of night staff, mm. um, like myself. The um, and then fate intervened. I, I was going to be let go at the end of term, but then one of the full-time daytime library assistants got a job in the Oroctus, Would you believe? Mm. So. There was me, and there was a, a guy who um, would take lunch breaks, but which isn't fine when you're the only person in the library. You can't really go off and buy a sandwich and eat it in a cafe and leave the library unattended for an hour. Oh, would he lock the library? Mm-hmm. Walk, walk no, you just walk out and just leave <laughs> folk sitting, sitting, studying. I mean, so it, it was kind of. This is not behaviour to aspire to. Indeed. So on, on, the, on the basis that I didn't do anything like that and was kind of halfway irresponsible, I got offered a full-time job, full-time library assistant role, which, which I accepted in here, and um, that went on for the summer. And at this time, there was a bit of an expansion going on in Dublin Business School, so the library got expanded. Um, the, the librarian needed an assistant librarian, and lo and behold... I was the only person with a library qualification, ah, so, so <laughs> yeah, floating to the top. <laughs> so it was shortly after that was that was September and in January there were plans to open a new postgraduate library in Dame Street, and the person earmarked for that role left. So again, I was the only other person qualified. <laughs> so after having worked in the library for six, you were going yeah, like yeah, poisoning your coffee, <laughs> so, so, uh, you killing know, off all the Nine months after starting as a part-time library assistant, I was running a library, so floating to the top. Not bad, yeah. yeah, I guess it, it goes to show. Perhaps it's a bit of a lesson that you know something you, you work hard to only get you so far. You have to be in the right time at the right place as yeah, well. A lot of stuff do. is out of your hands. That happens quite often with libraries as well. Yeah. Library roles where you know you take something that's it might not be what you're looking for at the time yeah. and it's only maybe yeah. a short term contract but then out of that short term contract absolutely grows and then you get familiar with the yeah. institution that you're in and cross egg the the secondary electronic publishing place i mean i spent 6 years there and i i got promoted three or four times mm-hmm. um drick i worked there for 5 years and i worked like a dog i didn't get promoted it's just yeah. the nature of the beast, just the nature of the environment. Um, things sometimes out of your hands. Yeah. So was that an environment where there were promotional prospects? Or was it just that it was a fairly flat structure anyway? There were, well, it was a bit of both, uh, a flat structure. But, um, you know, folk, a couple of folk did get promoted. But, you know, there's there's various reasons for getting promoted, aren't there? So I say, it's, it's not just a matter of working hard, being a good worker. You do need to be in the right place at the right time sometimes. Mm. So, um, I keep saying so. Can you edit that out? Uh, <laughs> great. Edit that bit out too, etc., etc. So i so spent two years in Dame Street as postgraduate librarian with Laura Rooney Ferris, and, my trusty number two. And, and the, the, the wild antics <laughs> that happened there, like yeah. people bringing dead pigeons yeah. into the library to see yeah. if we could resuscitate them because we were such a dynamic duo running that library that they I mean, really thought we could. It's, it's kind of a tribute to, to, to us as librarians, like yeah. librarians in general, that people, <laughs> people trust you to do anything and, and everything. I have this dilemma. Yeah. I 
I am now in possession for whatever reason of a dead pigeon. That's it. Uh, Who are you going to call? The yeah, the line the Ghostbusters, yeah. no librarians. No and I suppose it's the kind of folk we are. It's mm. the kind of folk that librarians are. We're helpful. We provide information. We help folk out. Mm-hmm. And you know, you, you you know yourself the kind of requests that you get in Dame Street and probably elsewhere. People trust you with a lot of stuff that they wouldn't trust you with if you're in another profession. Yeah. So it's nice being a librarian. Um, and you, so, how much did it differ? Like now that you've been, you know, professionally working as a librarian for. For a year, how much did that differ from all those years back when you thought about doing the Olympic course after finishing um, the PhD? That's an interesting question. From, from what you had anticipated it was going to be. Um, so I'm a very extreme introvert. Um, I, I can I can deal with people, but it takes a lot out of me, mm. and I find. I enjoy the interactions at the desk, but it does take a lot out of me. Mm. So. That was one thing that I was totally unprepared for, I think. I'm much better in the background, doing some manipulating data and stuff in computers. So that was one thing that took me by surprise, the sheer sort of emotional labour of being, you know, dealing with folk. Particularly in the sort of environment that you were in. Well, it's, it's, um, you know, you have a kind of fixed population in an academic library, in a public library, you'll get all sorts. I'm not really sure that we're exposed to the same level of uh, humanity, the the variation in humanity that you would get in public libraries. Yeah, I'm sure our public librarian colleagues would very much agree with that, that they they have much greater exposure to the whole gamut of humanity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, get, you do get a fair gamut of humanity in an academic library. I mean, everyone's different and it's now it's queer as folk. Yeah, I suppose DBS is quite a multicultural, yeah. diverse yeah. population as well. I mean, the, the, first night I, the first night I started and um, the person who was on with me took a break and this Chinese guy came up to me at the desk and pointing behind me saying, robot book, robot book! <laughs> and, Duh, what? <laughs> and I eventually worked out he was looking for a human resource management book that had robots in the cover. Yeah, sadly, I remember that robot. <laughs> yeah, uh, Barrington, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, different copies, different uh, different editions. Brassington, no robots in the Brassington, yeah. I haven't worked here. I still remember that it's You never forget your time at Dublin Business School. So, yeah, it's it's very different. You you It's... People have this, I, th- I think a lot of people have this cliched view of librarians as being quiet, shy, retiring types, but mm-hmm. that couldn't be furthest from the truth. Mm-hmm. You do need a lot of personal skills to, to be a successful librarian because you are dealing with lots of different folk. And unless you're lucky enough to be like me at the moment that's sitting in the back room, you will be spending a lot of your time interacting with people. Yeah. And I'm not sure that library schools in general are good at preparing you for that kind of thing. No, that's something I haven't really ever heard very many people articulating. A lot of people talk about how much it is a very, to use that awful term, customer-facing. Yeah, I, I hate the word customer, but you, I'd say yeah. user or patron-facing. I, I hate the term it, customer. We are interacting with people. Yeah, you know, as yeah no, I think a lot of people have this false view of librarianship where you're just mm-hmm. surrounded by books all day, all day yeah. reading books no you're not reading books you're cataloguing them or you're mm-hmm. god knows what you're doing to them but you're certainly not reading them you're you're talking to people more than you're reading far more than you're reading yeah and really having to often 
you know, have quite detailed, sometimes even intimate conversations with people. Yeah. You know, and that's anything from, you know, quite panicked user coming in yeah. and any one day being, you know, in a state of distress because if it's an academic library, maybe they have exams coming up and they're not prepared yeah. for them. And of course, uh, as you know, if if you're able to, you'll help them out. The, the imprint on you and they come back again and again yeah a lot of the relationship in libraries is that sense of just kind of one connection at a time yeah that you know a user comes in and if they get the right person on the right day and they give them the right information then yeah that imprint that sort of bond is <laughs> yeah but it's, it's good an academic library it's good it's like you you know the, the, the bird lays the egg the egg the hatches your know, imprints but eventually the baby bird will grow wings and fly away. Yeah. So you have three or four years in an academic library and hopefully you've helped them sort themselves out and they can you know, find information for themselves at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a theory anyway. Mm-hmm. So you were in Dame Street then in the postgraduate library? Yeah, for or? two years. And um, we, we got a new librarian, the, the phenomenal Marie O'Neill. <laughs> the powerhouse that is Marie O'Neill. <laughs> Marie should be running libraries now. There should be an Irish libraries organisation and Marie should be in charge of I- all libraries in Ireland. Yeah, she'd probably do that in her spare time, yeah. like yeah. in the evenings. I was thinking of that Werner Herzog film, Fitzcarraldo, mm. where Klaus Kinski is um, yeah. transporting the sea- steamboat over the... Ap- over the ap- hills and the Amazon. Yeah. So, Marie could do that, no problem. She would get that done in a week. Yeah, a no couple of days, there. yeah. As soon as she sets her mind to do something, no, that's she'd it. Just, she'd go out and she'd talk to all the, the neighbours yeah. and she'd get, she'd get on their good side and yeah. get it all sorted. Yeah, get folk to, <laughs> to, to lift the, it free the, of charge. Uh, the impression we're giving across here is that Marie O'Neill, with both of us having worked yeah. with Marie as our managers, we're very impressed <laughs> with her industrious spirit. Yeah, she's she, like Martin Luther King. She has a dream, she has a vision, and nothing can stop her. Yeah, but she brings people along with her. Yeah, well. yeah, it's good. Um, before she came, we kind of all were generalists, um, helping out with various things. Um, we had this print management software in, in use at the time, which, which I wouldn't name because it didn't work out very well. Mm-hmm. And the, we had to call out the technical support guy one day and I had a 15-minute conversation with him and it so impressed Marie so much. I don't know what I said, but it so impressed Marie so much. Mm-hmm. said, you're going to be our systems librarian. Yeah, yeah okay. Because you were fixing it every time it broke. <laughs> I remember it. We had these stupid cards which kept sticking as well. Yeah. Remember getting tweezers to yeah. remove those cards. Yeah. Many uh, times. I think one of the things that she did, paper cut, that was her idea, or was it your idea? Print management think, system. Yeah, that. prehistory, yeah. yeah. But uh, well, eventually she adopted it. If, it. if it wasn't her, she adopted the idea and um, managed to persuade one guy in IT to set it up all by himself. So that was that. We changed print management systems and we've been using this for the last seven years, no problem. Marie has a vision, gets it done. So I came here, present position 2008, which means I've been here eight years in this role. I quite enjoy it. Um, mm-hmm. You get a lot of latitude to, your, to do your own thing. Marie lets you get on with stuff, and if you have an idea, but she likes, she'll, she'll let you get on with it. Um, 
you mentioned Koha earlier. I think it was my idea yeah. to... So let's get into the story of how you came to be. You are basically now known in the Irish library world as Mr. Koha. I am. Yeah, whether, whether you like it or not, that's mm, okay. your unofficial title. Well, I suppose that it's good to have a, a niche, isn't yeah. it? Um, we were one of the early adopters of Koha, I think, mm. just before yourselves. Yeah. Um, we'd been using a library ma- management system named Heritage for, I think it was about 12 years, and it was fine. Um, it was good, no complaints, you know, really, well, several complaints, but I mean, it was very good for what it mm. does. We were kind of getting bored with Heritage. We'd, we'd you know, you, you get the same system day, day after day, and there's particular foibles with it. I mean, Koha has foibles that you live with for a while. Maybe you'll get fed up with Koha. Mm-hmm. Um, there's stuff with Heritage that we, we didn't actually like. We moved to Windows 7. The version of Heritage that we were using wasn't greatly compatible with mm-hmm. Heritage. Um, well, Heritage and Windows 7 weren't really greatly compatible. You had lots of crashes. It was very frustrating for the desk staff. The OPAC wouldn't work sometimes as well. Um, it's just... I mean, the OPAC was fine, it was great, it's just there was an awkward setup to the OPAC, which means it would stop showing new material now and again. Mm-hmm. So th- th- there was no one big thing, um, there's a variety of small things where our library budget was being cut as well, we had to make savings. And I remember we, somebody, con- I think it was Interleaf contact, say, we support Koha. I thought, let's do it, let's do it, let's jump ship. And um, it's, you know, it's the kind of, we're we're lucky here on DBS Live, you you have an idea, you can pursue it. Um, We could, if I was working in the public sector, I couldn't just say, okay, switch to Koha. But that's what happened here. So we we got into life and we we haggled the price. That was May or June of 2013. And... By September, we, we'd gone live. Yeah. It was great fun doing the, the switchover. Um, I, I, I love Koha because it's, it's open source. I, I, as, as I said before, I'm mildly enthusiastic about open source, free and open source software. Yeah. Um, I think it's a win-win for libraries, particularly these days when you know budgets are being cut. Yeah. Um, I've spoken in the past, I think that open source software is more secure and more privacy conscious mm. than um, commercial software. Yeah, well and the fact that the code is openly available. Yeah, precisely. You can see what's in it. Transparency yeah, transparency yeah. wouldn't be available in a commercial. Product. Yeah, it's 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 more robust. You don't get to be tied into a particular vendor. Mm-hmm. I think more libraries should be looking at more open source software solutions. I hate that word solutions, <laughs> but should be looking at more open source software for use in the library. And there's a great variety out there. I mean, we, we, we use Koha, we use DSpace for our institutional repository, we use Omica, or Omica, however you pronounce it. That's one thing I hate about open source software sometimes can't figure out how to pronounce the names, yeah. I can't pronounce the last one, it's Omeka. Yeah, Omeka or Omeka, I suppose. Do you you put the stress in the first syllable or the second one? All these questions have to be answered. These are the big questions in the library world at the moment. How do you pronounce Omeka? Indeed. Zotero is easier. We use Zotero for reference management. I mean, I, I, I got a quote from... Thompson, I think it was for for I can't remember Thompson Reuters EndNote mm-hmm. for EndNote, and it was um, substantial into five figures, and that was in two thousand and eight or thereabouts. You yeah. know, I just can't afford that. Quotes for, uh, 
and note that just not being justifiable in yeah. a very small library like the one that I run. Zotero does everything that you need it to do, mm. and it's free. Why would you go elsewhere? Yeah. So we're big into open source software here, and I, I get the chance to, to adopt it. Um, we're, we're currently in the middle of, you dragged, you dragged me away from my desk in the middle of a shibboleth switch over. Screaming, yeah. screaming. I don't want to be here. <laughs> so we're switching from Open Athens, mm. which is proprietary, to shibboleth, which is open source. Um, and we're going to save a lot of money next year, touch wood, if we mm. can get it working. So, you know, these days, I think it's the first responsibility of every library to investigate open source before going for a proprietary solution. Um, I mean, there, there are things about COA that I don't like. We've had some issues with the self-service stations, the SIP2 module, which doesn't seem to be tip-top, and uh, the way we handle reservations or holds, as they're called in COA, seems to be at odds mm -hmm. with every other COA user in the universe which is bizarre. Mm. So some compromises have to be made, but yeah, we love it. I, I can't see us switching in the immediate future. Yeah, and yeah, and if anyone wants to come in and talk about Koha, I will, I apparently am Mr. Koha. Yeah, are you getting a lot of people coming? I get, I get a few. I get quite a few Yeah, well. it's good, it's good. I mean, it shows an interest and it's, you know, it's, it's good that you, folk are, are confident enough to go around and talk to other librarians. I, I, I like being a librarian because being a part of a community and I get very much the sense of being part of a community and you can go and ask someone and they're, they're not yeah. going to tell you no it's a secret go away. Yeah and I think that's kind of particularly in the last six five or six years or so that's really kind of developed even more so yeah. um, that sense of networking and well the, the ASL plug for the ASL and, and, you know, the Library Association of Ireland special interest groups mm -hmm. they're great I mean there's you and uh, I've been very impressed with the Creos Development Group yeah. as well uh, your, your joint library camp thingy is great yeah. um, more people should go along to these things mm -hmm. I mean it's one of the things that if you were starting out in librarianship it's one of the f things I tell you to do network talk to people mm -hmm. It gives you a good impression of exactly what the profession can be as yeah. well because I think a lot of people, maybe if you don't have any experience in a library before getting a qualification, yeah. there can be quite a blank in terms of what direction you can go in yeah. with your career and, um, and so people tend to think that it's really just the traditional um, roots of the public library or the academic library. And yeah. Meeting librarians yeah. shows just how diverse. Absolutely, and you don't have to actually be called a librarian either. I mean, yeah, uh, what's the place to look for? Information officer or information specialist? Mm -hmm. I mean, in in Drick, I was an information scientist slash analyst. Mm -hmm. I was working beside librarians, but their job role wasn't librarian. But you know, if your main job is cataloging, then you know. That's very much a librarian role, isn't yeah. it? So, I mean, don't be hidebound. Don't just look for jobs and titles that have a librarian in them. Mm. Be, you know, spread your wings. Yeah, be aware of where yeah. all of the various skills that you have yeah. as somebody with an, a librarian or an information qualification. Be aware of where those can take you yeah. and how you can Absolutely. We, we, change we, them. We, I've got to, I've got to plug our course because mm -hmm. I, I lecture on it as well. We have a, a library, an MSc here at Dublin Business School, and 
what we what we uh, there was a programmatic review a couple I mean, two years ago mm -hmm. we got revalidated and one of the things that we were trying to stress during the validation mm. was that you know our our graduates didn't get jobs solely in libraries they got jobs in other places but they were using the skills that the skills that you know, particularly in our course that are taught to you they're transferable and that's going to be the same for a lot of library courses skills are transferable so don't just think about a library job think about jobs where you can use what you've learned i mean when when i was at UCD is Judith Wisterman, who's brilliant, she's still there, probably. The HTML, XML, and that yeah. you, you get a job as a taxonomist or something, mm. or your web design, you use skills that you learned. Yeah, mm. effectively, anywhere you know, that, that information is used, yeah. anywhere that. Um, and and where, where these days is information, information not used, yeah. Then yeah. you need a librarian or somebody with that skill set um, yeah. to help you organise it. Absolutely. I just think we, yeah, we need to get better at knowing how to sell the skills we have for different types of jobs. Yeah, I yeah, so yeah that, I think that's... aware of the, the fact that what they actually need is someone with a, a library background or somebody yeah, with information. But, but you, you go back to, I, I think a failing of library courses is that there's no emphasis, insufficient emphasis on marketing and advocacy. Mm. Um, very much these days, you've got to fight your corner. It's it's not yeah. enough to 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 be there. It's not a case of if you build it, they will come. You build it, and you have to shout about it, and you have to say, "Hey, you." Yeah, and you have to show why it's relevant. Yeah, and, yeah. And relevant to your specific population, and you have Absolutely. to tailor it for different groups, and you have to speak the same language as. as Different groups of people. I mean, health, healthcare is so very much you know, evidence-based medicine. Yeah. It's very much a case for evidence-based librarianship. That needs to get bigger. Yeah. You need to justify what you're doing. You, you need to show there's a correlation. I suppose it's easier in academic libraries, yeah, maybe correlation. The, the Centre for Evidence-Based yeah. Library Practice. Yeah. Very good yeah. resources and very good yeah. tools on their website. Our annual seminar, what I are forced to speak at gunpoint every year. And you, but, but yeah, you, you, know, you, you seem to get up there willingly. <laughs> you didn't seem to be under any duress speaking uh, at it. Yeah, I quite enjoy the subject open source software. Last year I spoke about a project that I did here was looking at the impacts of the library. You know, I got access to exam results and I found that people who used the library, people who borrowed books, people who used the electronic resources, the more they borrowed, the more they used their resources, the better they did in exams, yeah. the less likely they were to um, drop out, more likely they were to progress from year to year. So, you know, it, it's good to have that. Um, I'd like to continue that work because um, it's definitely advocacy and marketing. Yeah. You, I mean, you nice graphs of library use against exam grade. It's great when you're doing a student induction. You say use the library, get a get a better result. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. Yeah, um, people still do. <laughs> Correlation does not imply causation, but it's still for marketing purposes. It's great. Mm -hmm. I think that's what librarians need to do. They need to show the value of the libraries. Yeah, we're hearing that so much now um, that, that it really does come back to being able to evaluate impact and demonstrate value. Yeah, we, we, live, in, we live in a world, unfortunately, where return on investment and value for money is, is very, very important. Mm -hmm. 
and I think librarians have to get with the programme, unfortunately. Yeah. You're kind of echoing some of the things that Jan Parry said to me in the sense that yeah. she kind of emphasised the need to you know, be very preemptive about yeah. that, to go out and do the evaluation yeah. and yeah. show your worth before someone comes along and mm. asks for that information, yeah. because if it gets to the point where someone is looking for you to justify your service, yeah. then to some extent you've already lost. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. To, they have to come to you looking for it. Well, you're on the back foot. Yeah. You need to be, be doing this position of strength. You need to be advancing it. Mm. And you talked about advocacy there as well. I mean, Marie um, famously qu quoted you in her when I spoke to her for Barbarian's Light. She said that um, you you were talking about the, the decimation and slashing of of libraries in in the UK and the fact that closing of libraries is to all intents and purposes, social engineering, which it is. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's another area where I think librarians need to, you know, develop our skills and develop our strengths. Yeah, there's there's um kind of a philosophy that says you know that, that, that it's the library, not the librarian. I think the librarians make the library. I think mm. you can have a library. Yeah, you need the librarian to make the library. Um, a collection of books is not a library. Yeah. And I really hate all these little free library things, libraries and telephone boxes and toilet cubicles. They're not libraries, they're just book swaps. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're not a libra they're not a library, it's a librarian that makes a library. Um sorry, I've lost my train of thought. Um yeah, the the closing the 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 deprofessionalisation as well, particularly in the UK, where libraries are closed and they're reopened with volunteers. You know that's that's just a recipe for disaster. I think um, libraries are under threat. Public libraries are under threat. Um, people, this academic libraries not so much, but um, there's still a strong need in academic libraries to to prove your worth. Yeah, yeah. Um, academic. Academic environments are such that everyone has to. Well, well, at the moment, um, you, you, you have you know, validation bodies, accreditation bodies, and they, they want evidence that there's a, a competent library service. So we're okay for now. Academic libraries are okay for now. Down the line, as more resources become digital, we'll see. I'd hate to envisage a world where this kind of. There's no printed books and library resources come under the auspices of the IT department because everything's yeah. online. Well, we've been talking about the demise of the printed book for a long time. I now. suppose, yeah, yeah. Figures continue to show that print book sales keep going up. But yeah, who's buying them? <laughs> well, I suppose they have to buy them if the libraries are being closed. People still like to read. As well. Yeah, I still like to read. Yeah. You might have a Kindle or an e-reader. Yeah, I, I have an e-reader. I'm off on holiday next week for a f two and a half weeks and I'm loading my e-reader with tons yeah. of books and I'm going <laughs> to sit and read every night for sure. So, yeah, reading is good. Um, mm -hmm. Library library's good, reading good, librarian's good. <laughs> what, more, what more do you need to say? Put but, on a poster when you're yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, um, so I'm very worried about what the, the government in the UK is doing. I, I do think I it's yeah, tantamount to... Social engineering. The, um, there's this. He's dead now. This American technology commentator named Neil Postman. Mm -hmm, yeah. And yes, yeah. yeah. And he he talked about you know the the difference between 1984 and Animal Farm and and Orwell's book. 
book, nobody read books because they were banned, but in Huxley's book, nobody nobody read a book because they didn't want to read them. Yeah, because the world against them. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's kind of the way that we're heading. Willingly. Yeah. Leading ourselves. Yeah. And losing ourselves to that. 1984, Big Brother watches you, but in mm. 2016, you're watching Big Brother on the telly. <laughs> Willing victims. Willing, I think well, maybe more so handing, willingly handing over the, your data to Big Brother yeah. in this sort of contract that you have. Yeah. A lot of these tools that you use. Yeah, well, that's, that's why I'm not on you, Facebook. You become the product. I'm not on Facebook. Um, I use Tor occasionally at home, and I've got lots of um, add-ons, privacy badger, HTTPS everywhere, ad blockers when I'm browsing, even on my phone. I, I try to take steps to maximise my, my privacy. Yeah. Do you think uh, your, <laughs> your time uh, working in the Department of Defence no, no. that give you an insight into where... No, I mean, we, we, we got some interesting stuff, but we, we didn't mm. see anything really on... We didn't get to see anything on that. Mm. Maybe that was... I think that was at a level above our, our security clearances. Who knows? Or maybe they just... We aren't doing much on it at the time. Mm -hmm. So, yes, librarians, very important people. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you see the, the profession going now? I, 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 I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm that optimistic about it. We'll see what the younger generation bring. You're such a cynic. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we are from a more privileged generation in, mm. in that books, information, libraries treated with more reverence. These days it's easier for that kind of thing to be lost in the background. Mm. So we'll see what the next generation come up with. I think libraries will go on. Um, we've kind of evolved. I mean, before books there were parchments and tablets. I'm quite sure people thought that, that was the end of reading. Um, didn't the old Greek philosophers think that you know writing would lead to the, the downfall of memory? Yeah. Uh, and the rhetoric. Every generation. Yeah. That so why why should I be any different? The end of you know, the printed word mm. and then seeing the end of thinking. So uh, yeah, it's, I don't I don't think it'll happen just yet, but I, th I think the younger generation might have to work harder. Hence the need for marketing and advocacy. Yeah, I think that's certainly something that that needs to be impressed upon new people coming into the profession. Although not even just new people coming into the profession, I think we all need to yeah you know, be be watchful that we're not getting complacent about our attitudes to the profession. No, well, I I I, I, I don't think if, if you're yeah. Yeah, if you're a good librarian, I don't think you'd ever be complacent because you know you're, you're helping folk out basically. Mm -hmm. you, you do time at the desk. You you you're contacted by telephone, email, you know the instant chat. People need assistance. You're helping them out. You you can't get blasé about that. I think mm -hmm. you might moan and shout at them, particularly if they can't hear you. But you know <coughs> you will provide equality service to them. That's your job, mm -hmm. and certainly in an academic role here, you. You know, if it wasn't for your users, you, it's the same everywhere. It's rare as a library that would exist without its users. Yeah, so it does come back to 
to the community that yeah. you're serving. Yeah. I'm not going to say customer service because I hate the word. As I said, I hate the word customer. No, I, but I but certainly, certainly your your readers, your patrons, your yeah. users. The people who are coming in and yeah. using your service. And you want them to come back, so you want to give them a positive experience. You want to help them out. Mm. So you you, you can't be complacent. If you're complacent, sod off. <laughs> Let someone else do it. Yeah, it's plenty of competition. Yeah, absolutely. On that cheery note, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> young, young librarians don't get complacent. That's old, old, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, David Hughes is available for all uh, consultation in relation to COA or. Um, I, I don't know what you'll learn, but you're you're quite welcome to come along to and or, chat. Or, or treating dead pigeons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These are his particular areas of expertise. Thank you, Laura. Thanks to David for sharing his uh, enthusiasm and his insight with us. And if you want to ask David any more questions about COA or anything open source related, he's uh, on Twitter as at username error. And a reminder again that the call for papers for ASL 2017, the sociable, sociable librarian, is now out. So if you go to www.aslibraries.com, you can check out submission details and submit a paper. Librarians Allowed is produced by Laura Rooney-Ferris. Music and additional editing is by Michael Ferris. Ferris.